0: The speed with which rates have risen is also causing more of a pullback from buyers. The pace of interest rate increases by the Fed is the fastest since the 1980s, and I think it has a psychological impact on buyers. They always want that rate to drop and maybe get something a little better, even though it's been continuing to go up. Welcome to Mitten Money, delivering insights from Michigan-based business leaders, big and small. William Zank, host of Mint and Money at TriStar Trust, loves nothing more than creating this masterclass so that you can get insight to guide your leadership journey in just under 30 minutes. Subscribe today and connect with William at
1: mittenmoney.com. What's going on, everyone? Here, listening to another episode of Mid Money. I know I say this with many of my guests, but I'm truly charged for this conversation that we're about to dive into. I'm absolutely privileged to have on Jeff Southcott, who is a senior vice president with First State Bank. Jeff is an absolute expert on the housing market, especially within our region. Our conversation starts off with an overview on why interest rates have been going up so much. Does this impact the residential real estate market or the commercial market? Also, what other industries do higher interest rates impact? Also, stay tuned later in the episode as Jeff shares many of his great insights on himself in our lightning round of questions. So welcome, Jeff, to MidMoney. Do you mind giving the listeners some information on your background? I feel that your experience is perfect for this conversation today.
0: Sure. I guess I'd start with my education. I have a history degree from the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, and I decided pretty quickly that I wasn't going to teach in history. I then got a management and MBA degree from the University of Utah. While I was going to school, I started working with Fidelity Investments. And I started working in selling mutual funds and later managing sales teams for Fidelity. Then I was promoted after I finished school and went down to Dallas, Texas to, as a sales director, I ran a sales call site for them. And believe it or not, most of Fidelity's customers deal with them right over the phone and never have seen anybody in person. I was then promoted and actually asked to go to Cincinnati to start up the high net worth call center there. It didn't exist at that point. So I got to build it from scratch, which was fun to do. We eventually had about 160 employees in my area. And we dealt with high net worth customers, 500,000 and more investable assets. And we did everything for them, trade, did service, and then we sold products to them. From there, uh, it was probably a natural fit. I was asked to go run high net worth sales in Boston for Fidelity. And so I had responsibility for all the branches across the country, plus the five call centers we had at that time. And this was a fun position. One of the things I got to do was to develop and run a number of sales campaigns that were quite successful. In fact, we brought in over a billion dollars in new money over the course of about four campaigns. And I traveled extensively across the country, visiting each of the investment centers and the call centers. So I really enjoyed that job. I took a position over in marketing, again, in the high net worth area at Fidelity. And I developed seminars for the branches to do live seminars to their customers and, again, try to generate more business. But during uh, 9 11, the terrorist attack, Fidelity did a huge downsizing. I was in the wrong area marketing at that time. And so I was surprised that I was laid off and needed to kind of reconfigure my career. So I moved back to Cincinnati and started with National City Bank. So that's how my banking career started. And I started as a senior vice president, district sales executive, managing a number of branches on the east side of the um, city. And then PNC, of course, took National City over. So I kind of rolled with that and stayed there in a similar position. But then I took a job in Midland, Michigan. That's what brought me up here. And I was an executive vice president for Wolverine Bank. I had commercial lending, mortgage, lending, branches, and marketing. So I had a lot on my plate, but it was a fun job. And then I I made a little career change, and I started teaching at CMU. So I became an adjunct professor, and I taught intro to business. I taught business communications. And then my favorite course was capital markets and banking, which was a senior-level class. And I, I really enjoyed that. And I did that actually until about 2020, that's when enrollment really started to decline. But at the same time I started at CMU, I started with First State Bank. The CEO gave me a call while I was teaching, and I decided that I would go and I'd run the mortgage group, the branches and credit cards and marketing. And that's where I started out. But we've gotten so busy and our mortgage area has grown so much, I now just focus on the mortgage department. So that's a little bit about my background and how we get caught up today.
1: No, that's fantastic. I think your background and experience in not only different size banks, but then also different size institutions can give a nice backdrop for our talk today on interest rates, the housing market, and so much more. So it's not a secret, Jeff, that interest rates have been rising, which is good for anyone trying to save money, but counteractively is not so good for people who might be interested in buying a home. And so what impact have you seen so far in home purchases within our region? And then Are people possibly exploring the realm of maybe adjustable rate mortgages? I mean, what's all going on there?
0: Interest rates, of course, as you know, have been rising, and the Federal Reserve continue to raise rates, and mortgage rates follow right along. The fact is, with higher interest rates, you do see prospective buyers putting off buying a home right now, and some of them may not be able to qualify anymore as well. So that's another whole issue. The speed with which rates have risen is also causing more of a pullback from buyers. The pace of interest rate increases by the Fed is the fastest since the 1980s, and I think it has a psychological impact on buyers. They always want that rate to drop and maybe get something a little better, even though it's been continuing to go up. And my first mortgage was at eight and a half percent. I remember when I could refinance at seven and a quarter, and I thought that was fantastic. So it takes a while for people to get used to these higher rates. The Federal Reserve, of course, has continued to do that. We've had three quarter percentage points increases in a row, we're probably going to have another three-quarter point here in November and another half in December, according to some of the Fed watchers I follow. So we're going to see those rates go up a little bit. But I also like to comment a little bit on uh, the supply of homes, which is another factor here. We still have that limited supply in the market right now. So what we don't have right now, we still have people buying homes. We have a limited supply. What we don't have is six or seven people bidding on the same home, which is driving up prices. So that has stabilized a little bit. But we've got a whole list of people that are out shopping for homes. So they pre-qualified, and they're just waiting to find that home. So that's really an issue. To give you an impact, in August, I was just looking at some numbers. 225 homes were sold in Saginaw County. This prior August in 2022, it was 200 homes. So the fall off doesn't seem to be a lot, but it's been every month, it's been dropping a little bit. And I think it's really fallen off now in September. I think nationally, we're down 23.6%. I just saw the figure roll across my desk this morning nationally. So I don't think we're getting quite as affected, but I think as the months go by, it'll get worse. But if you look at affordability, I think that's another factor here. If you bought a home for $250,000 with 20% down, so you got a $200,000 loan. 30-year mortgage, the average, like a year and a half ago, was about 2.96. If you look at that, your payment would be $832 a month. Now, fast forward, and this is actually a little low because we've risen since I calculated these numbers, but we were averaging about 6.7% recently, and now we're just a little over 7, but that payment is $1,291, so that's $459 increase. That's 55% increase over your monthly payment. So I think that is really limiting a lot of people's ability to buy that same size home, and so now they need to recalibrate and maybe lower what they can buy on the market that should eventually really start curbing the uh, price increases in homes
1: no, I think that's a wonderful background. I appreciate you mentioning on that and that example you mentioned at the end is just crazy to go think about over the course of ten months this year an increase just in that example of over four hundred and fifty dollars is just crazy and so for those buyers out there, I guess, what are some good ways?
0: Well, actually, you know, you asked about adjustable rate mortgages, and I'm sorry I didn't hit on that because I think that's really critical now.
1: Well, you can touch on it. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, because the, the adjustable rate mortgages are ARMs. They got a bad name during the financial crisis in 2008, but this is a product that has its place, and it's, I think it's a good one right now for some people. So basically, an ARM is something that You lock in an interest rate, say in a 5-1 arm for five years, and then after that, it'll adjust. The rate will either go up or down depending on what the prevailing rates are. We've done quite a bit of arms right now because many of our buyers are recognizing that that's the way to go for their situation. Adjustable mortgages, however, can be risky. If rates stay high after your five years or your three years or whatever your lock period is, you're going to see your payments go up. And the worst thing that can happen is if you can't afford a home, that's not a good thing. But I'd say generally, arms are good for people who want to pay off a home in a number of years. So if you know in three or four years, you're going to get enough bonuses from work to pay off that home, then this is a great way to go. You might have an inheritance or some other windfall that's coming or selling a business, another appropriate way to go. People who are moving, now I moved around the country quite a bit when I was going through my job experience with you. So I always did a adjustable rate mortgage or an arm because I knew that I'd be moving before I'd have to uh, see those variable rates come in. For those who are wealthier, can handle those payments, they are also doing arms because they know that they can refinance at a later date. And if rates go up, they can still handle that payment. But most of the people that we're getting arms today are people that want to buy a home and recognize that Rates are probably going to drop within that period of time, and they can have that period to refinance. And one of my lenders said, the money you save by not going with a lower arm rate was more than going to make up the money you'll, it'll cost you to refinance. So that's another way to look at it. So yes, arms are popular today, or getting more popular for the right people.
1: So just out of curiosity, and maybe this is my lack of knowledge in the area, could someone theoretically go take out an arm mortgage and then let's say in three or four years, wants to refinance, could they refinance into a fixed-rate mortgage at that point?
0: Yes. In fact, you're not locked in. So if I have a 5-1 arm, so i got a five-year period where it's fixed, in three years, if rates look attractive, I can go to my lender or any lender and basically say, I want to refinance, and they're going to pay off the arm, and they're going to get their new loan. There will be a cost for the new loan, but there's no cost to refinance and get out of an arm, at least with our arms.
1: No, oh, it's really interesting. Would you say there's any other good tips for people as they're trying to look out at the landscape? I know that sometimes there's home buyer programs for first time homebuyers. Are there anything else that you've seen interested people doing, you know, with these interest rates rising so dramatically?
0: I think if you want to save money, the number one thing you need to do is make sure your credit is good. Unfortunately, a lot of people apply for a home when they find out their credit is not so good, they're gonna pay a higher rate. That's just the way it works. I think the other thing is You can be patient. If you're going out there, don't get into bidding war. If you have to get the house, then go ahead and buy it. I would say putting 20% down is another way to save some money. So if you save up for your down payment, you have 20%, you avoid private mortgage insurance. That adds quite a bit of dollars to your monthly payment if you can avoid it. Certainly, if you want to get into a home and you don't have enough, then that's a good product for you. But many of our customers right now, who want to buy another home, maybe they want to downsize, whatever, they have equity in their home. What they do is a bridge loan. They take money out of their existing home in the form of a home equity. And then maybe with some savings, they pull that money together. Then they go out into the market to pay cash for a house. And then at some point they can sell their existing home, pay off that home equity, and they've got their home. And if they want to refinance to take money out, they can But cash is king really here. If you go in with a cash offer, people know that you're not dependent on financing and you're not dependent on selling your home. So you probably get a better deal. You mentioned first-time homebuyers. There are programs for them as well. We've got 3% down loans, anything up to 3% down loans. So you don't have to put a lot of money out of your pocket. The Michigan State Housing Development Authority, or MISHTA, we do business with them. They have programs to help lower income people with down payment assistance. So really, you need to talk to a lender about some of these programs and find out what's available that would fit your needs. Of course, there's income gaps and other things that you need to focus on. But for many people, though, they just say, you know, I want my second home. It's not slowing up second home purchases and I'm going to pay more. I know I'm going to be able to refinance in the future. So they just move ahead with it and it may be their advantage if home prices keep going up buying
1: now. So those are some thoughts. No, that's fantastic. And so we may have mentioned this a little earlier, but what would you say, Jeff, are some uncommon results of this slowdown in housing? Are there any other industries impacted outside just real estate?
0: Well, I guess I would think about, those of you who bought a home, what's one of the first things you do when you buy a home? You're also excited to move into your new home and you want to go out and buy furniture because your old furniture doesn't look good there. So furnitures, appliance sales will drop, home electronics will drop if home purchases drop. And to some extent, home improvement, because usually you want to make that either re-wallpaper, paint something, maybe do some changes to the home. And that will certainly affect those kinds of retailers. Home construction is another one where higher rates are seeing housing start-stop dramatically. So less and less people are building at this point. And that's partially because of the increase in interest rates, but it's also because of the cost of the inputs into it. So you're going to see um, lumber suppliers, shingle people that make and manufacture shingles, insulation, plumbing, electrical supplies, et cetera. Those are all going to be affected with lower sales. Construction industry, you might see people losing their jobs or reducing their hours because they don't have as many to build. So that's all going to impact. But I will say there are some mitigating effects. I don't think they're enough to overcome this, but people are taking money out of their homes through home equities to improve them. If I have a 3% mortgage, I may not want to go and lose that, but yet my house may not be what I want. So rather than buy a new one, I'm going to remodel my home. So a lot of that is going on right now as well. That's a very popular product for us. And then, of course, you have the hurricane, and there'll be demand for um, building products and materials to build up Florida again. So that's going to counteract it a little bit, but you're still going
1: to see a decrease as there's less and less people out shopping for the things they would do when they buy a home. Sure, no, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. And so I know that the last housing slowdown we had was obviously 2008, 2009, and there were a lot of different things structuring in place. In my own opinion, I don't think we're experiencing that, but this could possibly be a different trend in place where it's a little bit slower. So if you had to go put your best forecasting hat on, would you say this is more short-term in nature or more long-term in nature?
0: The easiest thing to say is the short-term rates are going to continue to go up. That's pretty easy. Personally, I don't think mortgage interest rates will stay high for very long. How long is the real debate? The Fed will keep raising rates until inflation is down to their 2% target. The way to get inflation down is to get demand down or destroy demand, which usually causes a recession. I'm not projecting one, but as more sure signs of the economy slowdown occurs, we should see longer rates go down. And the Fed may be lowering rates, actually, by the end of next year, depending on if we have a recession, how soon that recession comes. So that still is going to be something that I think is going to be more attractive to buyers, probably not until the last half of the year, maybe the last quarter of the year. And we'll have to see. That may carry over into 2024. But again, as I mentioned earlier, I think we still have another problem, and that's the inventory of homes available to sale. And I think that's going to be a tough one for potential buyers. And at some point, if we do have a pretty big slowdown, we might switch over to a buyer's market because we're still in a seller's market. But if we do, it won't stay very long. But we're not going to have the double-digit increases. That supply issue is a real problem. If you think about all the homes that burn down, the homes that become obsolete, we're just not replacing them. And we haven't been replacing them since the financial crisis of 2008. We also have a huge chunk of people, 25 to 35, that want to go out and buy their first home. And they're a little late, some of those people. But they want to be out there and they're looking. So there's going to be competition. That's going to keep home prices probably pretty moderate. So probably won't go down too much. In fact, they'll start probably going up again. But we'll have to see what happens. The recession could be much more severe than what people are projecting. And if that's the case, this whole thing could change
1: the picture quite a bit. I appreciate that. I won't hold anything against you. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> So switching now over to the commercial market, Jeff, how do interest rate changes impact these kind of properties? It's easy to see how interest rate changes affect the residential market, but obviously, for homes you live in versus pieces of property that people conduct business in may be just a little bit different.
0: Yes. I mean, basically, it's going to be the same kind of a thing. Commercial loans rates are going up at the same time, and business borrowing costs are going up. And you may borrow for various reasons. You may borrow just to replace the inventory that you sell, or if you're a manufacturer, to purchase those supplies and parts that go into your manufacturing. You may be able to pass that on along to the higher borrowing costs to your customers, but you also have inflation. And so everything else is costing you more. So probably what businesses are going to see is their profits are going to squeeze, and that's going to hurt them that way. But if you also think about it, you might have wanted to expand your manufacturing facility and maybe build on to your warehouse or something like that. The construction loan payments at a reasonable level, maybe a year and a half ago, made this a project you wanted to do. Now the rates are increasing, so that expansion may not make financial sense at this point. And it goes with the same thing. You may want to buy out a competitor or expand your business into different areas, and you may want to do that by buying someone. Well, again, you got to calculate that. Still might make sense, but probably not as uh, good of an increase in your profits as it would have been if you did it a year ago when rates are down businesses will begin to hold off expanding, buy new equipment. They may put off hiring. Even with the economy not knowing where it's going to go, that still causes people to put the brakes on a little bit. We haven't seen a lot of this yet. They may stop hiring. We're still getting positive hiring growth, but that'll probably stop at some point and then go the other way. So that's probably something we'll start to see in the near term. But many businesses don't have a choice because if you've got a nice low interest loan that's coming due, and they usually are five-year loans, you've got to refinance and you're going to refinance at the prevailing rate. So that's going to hurt businesses as well. If they have cash and they can pay it off, they might do that, but most of them will have to refinance. So overall, this will have an impact to the economy as well and to the certainly our regional economy and to businesses.
1: Sure, that's really interesting. And now time for my favorite part of our conversations really where I get to ask the guests like yourself the lightning round of questions. And so, Jeff, what would you say is your most important daily habit?
0: That's an interesting one. I guess I would say that ever since I started way back in my financial career, I read the news in the morning, first thing. I listen to news and I read news throughout the day and the evening. I need to always feel like I know what's going on. I always made all my students do the same thing and we discuss current events and how it relates to the financial markets and the beginning of every class. So I think that's probably the most important thing that's really helped me so I have an understanding
1: of what's going on at a macro level and to some degree at a micro level. That's great. What would you say is your favorite TV or streaming show that you're currently watching or have recently?
0: Oh boy, yeah, I'm going to disappoint you here. I really don't watch any streaming shows. If I watch TV, I watch the History Channel there's my tie into my history degree. I like to watch things that uh, history, especially, but things about you know war and some of the things that this country's gone through. I like that. Sometimes my wife watches stuff, and I can't honestly tell you exactly what, but I'll be in the room with her while I'm doing some work, and she watches some British shows. And so I guess that would be as close to streaming anything that I would watch.
1: So, Jeff, if you could remember for just one thing, what would it be?
0: One thing. That's pretty easy. I guess I would want to be remembered as a good husband, father, and grandfather, and that's kind of more than one. But I would add one more. From a career standpoint, I think I would want to be remembered as someone that helped other people develop for the next level in their careers. And I, throughout my career, I spent a lot of time and effort in that area because I think the more you give in that area, the better off everybody is. So that would be my other thing.
1: Definitely a great piece of advice. And so for those people, Jeff, who want to learn more about yourself or First Aid Bank, what are some good resources for the listeners out there?
0: First Aid Bank, I think our website, that's 1ststate.bank. So you can learn more about First Aid Bank. We are a business bank. And so we tend to be um, a business-focused bank, but we also do mortgages. And so we have a whole mortgage section and you can go in there and find out more about the products that I talked about today. As well as learn about the lenders that cover the Saginaw, Bay City, and Midland markets. That's where we focus our time. And so there's lots of information on there.
1: Well, that's perfect. And thank you, Jeff. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Mid Money. Please don't forget to follow our podcast so you don't miss when new episodes drop. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. You've been listening to Mitten Money sponsored by Tristar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more
0: about how William and the Tristar Trust team can guide your small business at tristartrust.com